I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Right, Let's rock indeed. Welcome everybody to 1,000 Wives of Weird. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me... I can't say as always yet. It's it's too soon. It's too it soon. Is, yes. <laughs> so I just for now I'm gonna say from now on with me is Ian Kiefer. How is everybody? Ah, uh, Chief Keef. And yes. <laughs> this week, you know, I there were a couple things I thought about doing this week, but I ended up deciding on the 1996 film Freeway for two reasons. One, it's a fairy tale. It's it's a oh a beautiful adaptation of Little Red Riding Hood. So I felt it went hand in hand with Over the Garden Wall. Yeah, But also, we're recording this on Black Friday, right after Thanksgiving. This is the perfect family holiday film. It's all about... <laughs> it's all about, like, just like Red Riding Hood, going to grandmother's house. Like, it's all about family. It's all about... Um, no, just those things. Yeah. It's about a lot of other things, too. Actually, up top... Previously on the show, we talked about the sequel to this movie, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. And that movie is so offensive and outrageous that we literally, our, our cold open was a series of trigger warnings. <laughs> this movie is much more subdued and highbrow than Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, which sounds in, probably sounds insane to Ian, who has not seen the sequel, Absolutely absurd. Because <laughs> this is a sleazy movie, just like Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. But this is not as outrageous or offensive, but I do want to give a trigger warning. There will be lots of talk of childhood sexual abuse. Just, that's a major one. Uh, let's get that out of the way now. If that's, it will upset you, please turn off. And do not watch Freeway, and especially do not watch Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, where it's even worse. Oh, yeah. No, it's wild, man. I don't I guess I got to check it out. I would recommend it. Like, it's don't watch it around anybody, but. Oh, uh, God, no. Yeah. I'm going to bring it out for family game night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, also, a little bit of serendipity. As I said, it's Black Friday, and I've been. I've already spent too much this holiday season on the deals and stuff, but I was, I've been watching Vinegar Syndrome and Severin because Severin just released Action Mutante, the first film by Alex de la Iglesia, who did Perdita Durango and The Last Circus and previous mm-hmm. film, The Day of the Beast, which was our last year's Christmas special. And I was super excited for that. Ended up being too expensive for my blood. The same morning, Vinegar Syndrome released Freeway on, I believe, a 4K or a Blu-ray at least. And I was really tempted to buy it, but I had already purchased, even though I've already seen it, I decided to spend way more money than I should have on a 4K <laughs> release of Invisible Maniac, a.k.a. Invisible Sex Maniac. Ooh. A uh, a little bit of a Skinamax fair that is wild, and I will probably make you watch at some point for the show. Sounds good. <laughs> yes, there is a Vinegar Syndrome release of this that I will have to pick up at some point, along with uh, someone released Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, recently too, and I need to pick that up. But very briefly, 
very briefly. Freeway is it stars it's 1996 film. It stars Reese Witherspoon, America's sweetheart, as an illiterate teenaged quasi sex worker juvenile delinquent yeah. whose terrible mother and stepfather get arrested and she tries to make her way to her grandmother's house but of course there is a big bad wolf on the way played by Kiefer Sutherland so if that's straight and also again this movie is it's sleazy it's exploitation there are going to be things you might find offensive or irre- irreprehensible just mm-hmm. be warned I feel like Ian has not been as immersed in sleaze as I am, or even as I've made Billy. So, Ian, would you recommend Freeway? It's a good question. So, (laughs) in the first, I'd say, 15 minutes, I hated this film. Okay. I'm going to be completely honest. And I was like, what is this, Brad? What is this? And then I wrote my notes somewhere. We'll get to it. I kind of started loving it. And by the end, I definitely recommend it with a, what do you call it? Like asterisk. Asterisk. There's one, there's a couple parts of this film that I can't forgive. And the biggest part is the the N word gets dropped a lot. It does. So with that note, I recommend it. If only for Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland's performances. Oh, they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And no, they're like I said, there are offensive elements to this film. When the end, we'll talk about it as it comes up because, like you said, yeah. it comes up a few times. But I want to point out who is saying the N word, why they're saying it, and again, like this is not like it's not like Reese Witherspoon in real life is calling someone the N word. These are yeah. characters. It's it's part of this sleazy sort of trashy picture that is being developed. I absolutely would recommend Freeway. It's the note watch, as we talk about all the time, is more difficult than any other watch. I watched this in pieces over a week. I still loved it. Like, you're not going to see Reese Witherspoon do any of this in any (laughs) other movie. This is nuts to think that Legally Blonde and uh, Sweet Home Alabama Reese Witherspoon... (laughs) walk the line doing and saying some of this stuff it's amazing i think it's my favorite reese witherspoon performance it's definitely up there like election is fantastic and election was also sort of this sort of like a little bit more slanted reese where she's not just like the best she's a character uh who's Mm -hmm. complicated and such but yeah i would recommend it it's a great like again this is fucked up but it's not as fucked up as a lot of things i i think normal people could enjoy this and probably would enjoy it as long as like they have some sort of tolerance for exploitation yeah very much it's not the holy mountain or anything we're not going that insane or anything no no (laughs) and even even freeway 2 i i could not recommend to the general populace it's more akin to (laughs) like a John Waters movie than anything else. And I mean like uh, a female trouble John Waters movie. Oh, oh yeah. I got some pink flamingo vibes from this. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we get into the walkthrough? Uh, no, I think the only thing I wanted to add uh, that a little bit, I uh, did a little bit of research and stuff that it was produced by Oliver Stone. Yes. Which is interesting. I never knew that until this watch. I never picked up on that. I get a lot of Natural Born Killers vibes. Oh, yeah. So I see that. I can definitely see that. NBK, another movie that would be great for the show. 
and that that I've, been, I've been thinking about since the beginning. Do you like Natural Born Killers? Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I definitely see the Oliver Stone in it. But I also, mm-hmm. having seen Freeway 2, where Oliver Stone was not involved, I wonder if Oliver Stone, like, for once in his life, had to be the coked out voice of reason, where he's like, <laughs> Do you want to do what, Matt? You want to do what? No. No. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> By the way, this is directed by Matthew Bright, who did Freeway 2. And aside from these films, as we mentioned in the Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby episode, is mostly known for his movie Tiptoes, <laughs> where Gary Oldman pretends to be a little person alongside actual little people. Gary Oldman is literally walking on his knees. Oh my god. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but I've heard a lot about it. I haven't seen it either, and I... Sort of want to see it, even though I know it's going to be bad. All right. All right, you ready? Yep. So immediately, immediately, I love this movie. I know you mm-hmm. said the first 15 minutes didn't do it for you. You're going to you're gonna have to build up some tolerance to sleaze. You're going to have to get used <laughs> to, to waiting in the gutter, my man. <laughs> but we get these opening titles, and we get this sort of creepy child choir, like, la, 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 la. And these sort of coloring book slash storybook drawings of an anthropomorphic wolf chasing after various women. And it's not pornographic, but it's definitely sexualized. The ladies have definitely. a larger bust. We see a lot of upskirts, a lot of panty shots. And also, another th- person I did not know was involved with this film Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down too. He did the music, and that's, that's insane. It's nuts because one, it doesn't sound like a Tim Burton soundtrack, which is all I no. thought Danny Elfman could do. Two, that <laughs> someone, someone went to the Elfman and was <laughs> like, uh, "Hey, Danny, I got this movie about a teenage prostitute or teenage <laughs> sex worker," and Danny Elfman's like. Tell me more. <laughs> well, because this would have been smack dab in the middle of Burton's, like Edward Scissorhands, oh, ye- for Christmas, right? Yeah, I think it would be uh, at least very close after. Because if this was in his like Oingo Boingo days, that would make sense. Yes. Be like, get the Oingo <laughs> Boingo guy to come in and do yeah. this movie. <laughs> oh, man, I love Dead Man's Party so much. <laughs> Sucking dick party. We're having a sucking dick party. (laughs) As I said, this is written and directed by Matthew Bright. IMDb also credits Oliver Stone as having a hand in the screenplay. Really? That's the only place I've seen that, so I don't know if that's true. I can sort of see it. But I I also assume if Oliver Stone were directing it, um, I just (laughs) assume that in the 90s, Oliver Stone just like, Every movie had to be about JFK. I was going to say, I know JFK was... <laughs> even though, like, even though, like, Natural Born Killers didn't really have anything to do with JFK, but I just picture, like, every time on the set of The Doors, like, uh, Oliver was like, all right, uh, Val, your motivation is that you know that John F. Kennedy will be dead on November 22nd, 1963, and go. <laughs> Uh, I, I could see Oliver Stone having a hand in the prison scenes later. Yeah, although very... I get the feeling that a lot of this is just what really gives Matthew Bright a charge, which makes yeah. the movie 
makes me like the movie less because I feel like in a way he's sort of getting off on it, but also that's a big part of sleaze and exploitation. It's, it's a real mixed bag to enjoy (laughs) this type of movie and also be like a conscientious person, conscientious person. Yeah. I, um, after you said he did tiptoes and how much you said freeway too is I was like, Oh, I don't know if I like this. I like freeway a lot. Like I, I guess I was, um, I'll talk a little bit because I do actually like a lot of the beginning, but, um, I like this movie a lot, but like, it's starting to make me feel like I wouldn't want to actually hang out with the guy. No, probably not. What he makes and stuff. And like, I don't know how much is fiction in him. Like tiptoes doesn't feel like fetish stuff. Like I, I, I I know nothing about tiptoes. I don't know if he wrote it or what. I feel like that was because I've like. Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby went direct-to-video. Oh, it, didn't, okay. it didn't get a theatrical release, so I feel like after that he was trying to be like, how can I like really blow people's minds and like come back with a vengeance? And it's like, yeah, I'm going to tell the story of little people, and the person <laughs> to be my uh, choir will be Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. <laughs> Who I've also heard is an asshole. Yeah, I believe it. Stuff. Like I know, um, I really love uh, Coppola's Dracula. I don't okay, know how you feel. I've never um, seen it. I really like it, but I heard he was a piece of shit on that like set and everything. I believe it. I think most successful actors are terrible people. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, we begin after the credits. We begin in a high school where Reese Witherspoon struggles to read a very simple <laughs> sentence. Oh, quick before we go to that. Uh, I did want to mention, I love the opening credits. I know I said it like first few minutes. That was amazing because I think it sets the tone beautifully for the movie. Absolutely. Um, It might be one of my favorite opening credits because opening credits usually are boring. So I really like that. I I like a good opening credit sequence. This is, I obviously really enjoyed this. It sets you up for the sleaziness. It sets you Mm -hmm. up for the, just the general tenor of the movie, like the Red Riding Hood thing. So we begin in a high school where Reese Witherspoon struggles to read a very simple sentence. And after she works through it, she makes out with her boyfriend Chopper, played by Bokeem Woodbine. And Bokeem Woodbine has been in a ton of stuff. And stuff that I've seen, but if you were to, like, say, I'll give you $10 if you can pick Bokeem Woodbine out (laughs) of a lineup, I would struggle. Yeah. Um, He's a great actor. He's great in this. Never not enjoyed the most recent thing he was in. He was the sheriff in Ghostbusters Afterlife. I didn't see that. I saw it's not worth seeing, and I yeah. clearly didn't remember his performance from it. But um, he's in. I it. wanted to see it just for the mini Stay Puffs because they looked really cute. They are cute. That's probably all you'll get out of it. Unless That's about you're big, it. Yeah. Unless you're like a big Finn Wolfhard fan and you just like want to see him in more. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're a wolf head. Yeah, Stranger Things, my favorite show. (laughs) Reese Witherspoon's character is named Vanessa Lutz. Later, we see Vanessa's mother, Ramona, on the street uh, doing some soliciting. Now, Ramona is played by Amanda Palmer. No, sorry. Not Amanda Palmer, Neil Gaiman's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Dresden Dolls. Uh, or I don't know if she was in the Dresden Dolls. But uh, I think she famous was, yeah. alt musician uh, Amanda Who's Palmer. married to Neil Gaiman, I believe. Yeah, she is. amazing. She is. So. 
And they have an open marriage, so if you ever wanted to suck Neil Gaiman's dick... <laughs> yeah, there you go. And Plummer had a small role in a pre another previous 1,000 Wives of Weird movie where she played Dagmar in Joe vs. the Volcano. Oh, yeah. But she's probably best known as Honey Bunny, mm-hmm. one of the diner robbers at the beginning and end of Pulp Fiction. And she was also, bizarrely enough, in a stage play where she played Lee Harvey Oswald's wife, Marina. Oh, wow. You, we broke it open. We're this, coming for you, Oliver that, Stone. I bet, that's, <laughs> I bet that's Oliver Stone casting. Is like, I went to see this Lee Harvey Oswald play. <laughs> Get his wife in there. Get Marina Oswald. Make her play the mom. And she was also in the, one of the productions of the stage version of Killer Joe. I don't know that. You've never seen Killer Joe? No, what's Killer Joe? Uh, it's based on Tracy Let's Play. I'm not sure who directed it. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, Lord. Uh, the woman who plays Keely in Ted Lasso. I forget her name. It's good. It's... Oh, Hannah something, right? No, I don't think it's Hannah. Oh, okay. But yeah, no, it sounds good. Killer Joe's worth checking out. It's an upsetting movie, but it, it's good. It was Now, this was bef- after Pulp Fiction, right? I believe so. I think Pulp Fiction was 94. Because I'm wondering if they can... This film, to me, seemed very Pulp Fiction-esque. Just a lot to it. I can sort of see it. Um, if not more... It's way more sleazy than Pulp Fiction. Yes, I, I, I feel like it harkens back way more to a, a 70s and 80s sleaze. And it yeah. could be because Tarantino, all he does is steal. Very much. It, it could That could be a byproduct of that. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering if, like, even if uh, Matthew Bright saw Pulp Fiction and was like, I like her, let me put her in my... Oh, it's very possible. I mean, she was great in Pulp Fiction. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nobody will execute every last motherfucking one of you! (laughs) In case you needed a Pulp Fiction quote today, like it was 1997. I don't love that film as much as, like, film pros do, obviously, but, like... That is, they are my favorite characters, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer. They are, in my opinion, the best part of the film. Oh, they're great. They're great. But Ramona is super desperate, and we can feel it. Amanda Plummer is great at playing desperate women, as we see in Pulp Fiction. She approaches a man in a car who rebuffs her, and here we get our first instance of the N-word. Yeah. Which he says, just as Chopper and V and Vanessa roll up on Chopper's bike... Uh, Chopper is black, and he hears his girlfriend's mother. Oh, his fiance's his fiance. Mother, yes, I forgot about that. Say the end. He doesn't really react to it. He, he, I got the, I got the sense that he was, he definitely heard it and was sort yeah. of like, I, it's not worth bringing up because. Ramona seem. We're going to learn that Ramona is on some drugs. I'm not sure whether it's crack or some other sort of amphetamine, but I think Chopper knows it's like, it's not worth it to be like, why are you saying this? And Um, he's probably heard it a lot, if we're being honest, if they're fiancés, because we know both of them say it later in the film and stuff. This is one of the complexities of the film, and we'll get into it a little bit later, because this, this sort of thing gets brought up in Freeway 2 a little bit. And I'll bring that up a little bit later. I could see Ramona being racist, but I could also just see her 
saying the word because she's angry and fucking strung out on drugs, which is not an excuse, but... No, 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 no. But I get that, yeah. And Vanessa obviously catches her mom doing sex work, and she's very upset. Uh, They fight, and V goes into the motel where they live to hang out with her creepy stepdad, Larry. Yeah, Larry. Larry's (laughs) a whole can of worms. I wrote that Um, this family seems like my nightmare. Yeah, no, it's it would be terrible, and that's that's the one of the things that uh, I sort of love about the film is like while there's a lot of hilarious quotes, why that while there's a lot of like uh, really sleazy titillation, this is also a story about a girl from a profoundly, profoundly dysfunctional Broken. and fucked up household. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, this definitely. Is, this, and we'll get to it at the end. This is ultimately a terrible tragedy. Um, oh, it is. Yeah. But Larry is played by Michael T. Weiss, who also appeared as, in, in Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick <laughs> Baby. I believe he was, and I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil something in, that happens oh. in Freeway 2 for you. How dare. I believe he is the train hobo that Crystal and Cyclona kill, uh, partially because he's trying to sexually assault them, and also because he has a big bag of crack rock. <laughs> so is this actor just always playing sexual assault uh, people? <laughs> because Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, is he was also the star of a show called The Pretender that ran okay. for several years, and he voiced Tarzan, not in the not in the first Disney movie, but yeah. in the Disney series and the sequel. Oh my god. Can you imagine a Disney exec watching this and be like, <laughs> Yeah, I want him to voice Tarzan. Well, the I, rapist that. I, I bet Tar if there were a real Tarzan, he'd probably be pretty <laughs> rapey. Like he'd probably be What do you mean if there was? That was a true story. Oh yeah, I forget all the white apes that get lost in the Of course. Jungle. But <laughs> Most importantly, he was the voice of the Nameless One in the uh, video game Planescape Torment, one of my favorites. Updated my journal. Ooh, nice. Larry and Vanessa are watching cartoons when a special news bulletin comes on. And Sheriff Dan fucking Hedaya. Uh, And now I'll get to Dan Hedaya's credits later. I love Dan Hedaya. He's great. Uh, I've seen him in a lot. Oh, he was in a ton in the 90s. But he tells us that the bodies of two teenage girls have been found alongside the freeway. And one of these girls was named Corky Poindexter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before the the news thing comes on, did you see what they're watching before? Yeah, a cartoon of Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. I thought that was a cute little add-in in in there and stuff. And uh, both of these victims had records of prostitution, and he believes that they were victims of the serial killer known as the I-5 killer. Larry Mm. changes the channel and then smokes what in my notes I referred to as crack, but to be fair to Larry, it could be meth, it could be some sort of speed. (laughs) It could be something. And now Larry begins to grope Vanessa. Yeah. And Vanessa pushes him away, and we get one of my first favorite Vanessa lines. Get your goddamn hands off my anatomy. I wrote that one down, too. (laughs) (laughs) Vanessa uh, Reese Witherspoon, who is from Tennessee, has decided to give Vanessa a a southern lilt 
and it works perfectly. It works perfectly for the character. Her, neither Amanda Plummer or Michael T. Weiss <laughs> speak with a southern accent. It's just there, but it makes the character so much better. I love that in California, for one thing, and she has this like deep southern Texan accent. And then when I saw, we'll get to a Kiefer Sutherland, I was like, oh, is he going to put it on? Nope, just Kiefer Sutherland being everything. And so it's just, I love the exaggerated accent. It's oh, yeah. It, it works so well for the character. It does. And this, this sort of abuse seems like something that Vanessa is very used to. This is not the first time. Larry keeps going, and Vanessa sort of pummels him and tells him to behave, but we're going to see Vanessa inflict brutal violence later. Oh, yeah, we are. This seems more like a sister beating up her brother. Like, like, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to Mm -hmm. just, like, tell you I didn't want this to happen. I haven't seen this movie for a while. I've watched it a few times before, but this time I was like... Oh, I'm glad Vanessa's fighting back. And then I realize I later it gets recontextualized where I'm like, oh no, that's not really what's happening. She's just yeah. But Ramona has gotten into a car with a man and is trying to conduct some business. I love one of my I have so many lines right now, but one of my favorite ones of Ramona's is she comes up to the car and says, Hey motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> Get him to <laughs> and it's and it's Amanda Post so it's like, hey motherfucker! Yeah, um, it's so good. It's so good. Like just the lack of charm and tact and like she can't be very good at sex work. Like if that's her patter, if that's her line. Like she's <laughs> <laughs> This is not just sleaze, it's also a very black comedy. Very much, yeah. Pitch pitch black comedy where it's like isn't life terrible and aren't people just trodden beneath the system one of my things that was so surprising i know we both don't literally like ebert um and everything i love I saw... ebert ebert was oh, do you? so uh foundational for me like oh, okay I, I i understand when people don't like him i understand when they disagree but like ebert is was like my midwife for movies I, 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 Ebert's also one who got me into like films and everything. Um, I think I moved away from Ebert mostly because of like about Lynch and weird films. Yeah. And, but I still really respect the guy. I was so surprised. Do you know what he gave this film? Three and a half. Three and a half. I mean, this kind of film, I thought he'd be like zero stars. It's all trashy schlock and everything. And I was like, damn. And then I think he even wrote in his review because I read it. He was like, I know most of you want me to be like, this is shit, this is slock and everything, but I really enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, Ebert. Yeah, because yeah, so. he can tell the one, it's a well-made movie. Like, it's well it shot. Is. And like, it's, and the acting is phenomenal across the board. And oh, it's, like, yeah. like, just because it's sleazy doesn't mean it's bad. And also, you have to remember, Ebert worked with Russ Meyer. Like, That's they true. wrote scripts together, they made films together. Ebert, Love sleeves. Yeah. Like, I believe he really did. I believe that, but he liked good sleeves because I think Russ Meyer was a good filmmaker. Uh, aside from just having dutiful women in his movies and just yeah. a bunch of. No, Ebert appreciates when exploitation is done right, I think. Yeah. No. Definitely. Unfortunately, the man that Ramona is talking to is an undercover cop. And. <laughs> 
One of the cops in the background looks like if Russell Crowe were turned into a Muppet. Yes, and, I thought... And then turned back into a person, but it wasn't like a one-to-one transformation. It was like he brought back a lot of Muppet with him. Yeah, I saw that guy too, and I was like, is that Russell Crowe in like a really early role? And then, But it wasn't, yeah. Cops also find Ramona's pipe, which is either for crack or crank. And they use that as a reason to search Ramona's motel room. During which they intrude on Larry on top of Vanessa on her bed. Yeah. They pull him off and Vanessa very calmly straightens her top. And this is where we realize that like, oh, not is not only is the groping habitual, this is probably also habitual and where like Vanessa probably as she's getting older is able because we're gonna learn this abuse start very early. Yes. Um, Vanessa, as she gets early, feels more comfortable and capable of fighting back, but it also seems like this is going to happen. It's mm-hmm. it's all very upsetting, couched in this very heightened ridiculousness that's going on with it, which is also, if you ever listen to our Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby episode, there's a lot going on in that movie about abuse and eating disorders and control and what that means to the greater narrative. I didn't pick up uh, as much of that from this movie, the original freeway, but I, there is a lot of darkness and truth couched in all the outrageousness and sleaze. I I will say, because we talk a lot about the sleaze and stuff. I will say one of the things I really compliment this film for is not making a graphic like scene of her being sexually assaulted and everything yeah because that's where like when we say sleaze and stuff that's where a lot of that directors would go to would be this scene that would have like reese witherspoon and it's so much more effective for the film and the overall because the little tidbits we get throughout the film especially when we get into heather sutherland's character it helps the film so much more by not having that graphic scene or anything oh i agree with you but also i don't think because Reese Witherspoon's character is a teenager, I don't think the MPPA, MPAA would like let this film be shown. That's very like, true. With anything yeah. other than an X rating, if there was a even like, no matter how softcore you did it, like a scene of actual teenage molestation. I read somewhere it had an X rating, and he took out a couple swears, and he got an oh, it just got an X for cusses. I guess, or something. Oh, man. Maybe We're... he had more and that he just didn't say what he had in, but I don't know. But I remember it read either X or NC-17 or like one of the higher ones, and then it got down to an R. Gotcha. Vanessa doesn't seem that upset about her being molested. She's mostly upset that like, oh, mama's going back to jail. Larry's going to get taken away. I'm going to go back into foster care. Here we go again. Like just sort of this resigned depression where it's like, yeah, okay. I I won't get too much into it because trigger warning and stuff. But like, as you know, I'm a child of abuse and stuff. So a lot of this spoke to me. I'm not going to talk a lot about that because I don't want to, but uh, a lot of that spoke to me in the film and it's, we'll get later on, but it's actually a really good film on, the foster care situation, because that's a lot of where I was coming from when this okay. stuff was happening, was I didn't want to leave this abusive household because I was so terrified of foster care. And I would be really interested in finding out if Matthew Bright 
this stuff just seems way too realistic to be able to be fiction. Like, from someone that that happened to, it spoke a lot about that and stuff. Well, that's... I'm glad... I That's interesting that the movie spoke to you, and I'm surprised that you... Even though it spoke to you, like, these first 15 minutes weren't that great to you, like, even though it was... I think it spoke to me, but I think it almost gave me, I don't want to say trauma, but like it kind of spoke to me too much. And then it kind of got me. And I think a lot of it, it's like you said, I haven't watched a lot of schlock. Yeah. And well, hold on. I, this is sleaze and exploitation. Sleaze, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> it's, we need to be specific. <laughs> but I've watched a lot of sleaze. So I think if I've watched a lot, I would love this a lot more. And Maybe. I think it was just such a, a new thing. That's gotcha. Well, because, uh, now, after talking about it, I love the first 15 minutes. Okay, great. A lady cop comes to talk to Vanessa, and she asks if there's sexual activity between Vanessa and Larry. And then we cut to Larry and Ramona in the living room on the couch, just fucking laughing. Oh, they're handcuffed. They're high as fuck. And the lady cop brings Vanessa into the room, and it's just so fucked up. And it also feels so real. Like yeah. just because yeah, if you're fucking, I assume if you're high as shit on methamphetamines, like you're just like, I don't care that I'm being arrested. This is fucking funny. It's kind of that feeling when you watch like B movies and you get someone like a homeless man. And you're like, that's not an actor. That's someone they actually pull off the street for Michael T. Wise. If you didn't tell me he was this like actors and all this stuff, I was like, that's just some dude they pulled off the street because he sold his role completely. He- you know what? You're right. Like, I didn't really appreciate his acting because the character is so reprehensible. Yeah. But, like, he actually does a really great job as this fucking scumbag. Like, it's terrifying. And I guess I'm more used to Amanda Plummer playing scumbags. Yeah. <laughs> so I can accept Ramona more. But, like, yeah, Michael T. Wise kind of hits it out of the park. Like, he does. Yeah. But Ramona breaks from her laughing. And she asks Vanessa if she's mad at her. (laughs) And Vanessa gives her mom a hug and tells her she still loves her. And it's so tender in the saddest, most devastating, horrifying way where it's like, Ramona's clearly a terrible, terrible mother. She still needs that validation and... Vanessa is not like is still like this is my mom like I yeah. got it's sweet in the worst possible way yes and then we cut to Larry in the back of the cop car still laughing and Ramona face down on the pavement having been hogtied and she is carried by several officers into the cop car in a hilarious bit where we're just left to wonder what the fuck did Ramona do in this intervening time? But they ride off. Now, Vanessa's, it's, I think they say parole officer, although I don't do. think that's, I don't think that's right, because I don't think Vanessa has been to prison proper. That's a uh, parole officer, right? Is after you get out of prison. Yes. Or something. So, yeah. And I don't know if that happens with juvenile, juvenile detention, but it's most, more realistically, it's probably like a social services worker. That's what I read it as. Either way, it's Miss it's Miss Sheets. It is. Uh, I love Miss Sheets. And immediately Miss Sheets and Vanessa have a familiar and easy rapport. Miss Sheets is played by Conchata Farrell, who was 
Aunt Dorothy in Krampus. Oh, I see. I know her from something else. She's Berta from Two and a Half Men. I never watched one second of that show. I actually did, and that's a sad thing. Growing up a lot, it was on cable TV, and I would watch it and stuff. And I was like, I mean, Charlie Sheen's a nutcase, crazy boy, crazy guy. But like, <laughs> no, he's a crazy was... boy. No, you're he's a like crazy boy. <laughs> he's a crazy boy. That's what we all say about him. <laughs> he's got tiger blood in his veins. <laughs> Once a month, I meet with Martin Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Joe Estevez, and we just go like, that Charlie, he's a crazy boy, and we eat our crazy eggs boy. benedict. <laughs> but John Cryer is pretty good in that show. Uh, okay. And Berta's great. She's like my favorite character. Well, Con- she's uh, whatever. Conchata Pharrell. She's great. Like, I like her. She needs to be in more. <laughs> and she was also in something called Deadly Intentions. Again? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> the cop leaves. And Vanessa and Ms. Sheets embrace with Vanessa saying, gosh, I hate pigs so much, Ms. Sheets. I wrote that one down, too. (laughs) And she has this wonderful, weary sadness where it's like, every day the pigs, every day, Ms. Sheets. Uh, The other thing about Ms. Sheets is I think she wears a badge. Does she? Because I kind of thought she was like a cop, and then I was like, no, she's a social worker or a parole. Maybe that's why they said parole officer. Is she's wearing because she's wearing like a bat, like a sheriff badge or something. I did not twig onto that, but I think Matthew Bright and Oliver Stone were confused about like they're probably things. coked out of their mind. I hope so. I Me hope too. that. I hope that like at least during the writing, not necessarily during the production of the film. No, I hope. Yeah. Uh, but during the writing, it was just. Matthew Bright, and every so often he would call up Oliver Stone like he was Murray from the BBC <laughs> Flight of the Concord series, where he would call up Noel Finn from Crowded House. There and, you go. Um, that's a fucking deep cut. If you, uh, I love Flight of the Concord, so I appreciated it. Have you listened to the BBC series? No. Well, the, the show, or no, it started out as a BBC radio series. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why that's what I'm talking about. In every episode, Murray would call Neil Finn from Crowded House to get advice. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that. it's it's super fucking obscure. But Vanessa is worried about getting put into foster care. But what if instead she went to live with her grandma on her father's side, her birth father, not Larry? Nope. But you know. Grandma might even not know about Vanessa because... (laughs) Definitely doesn't know about her. (laughs) Before Vanessa was born, there was some bad blood between Grandma and Ramona that (laughs) resulted in Ramona throwing acid in Grandma's (laughs) face and burning her a bit. That the picture they use for grandma, it is the most lovely, nice looking grandma too. Yes. She looks like I just want to give her a hug, and then it's like, and Ramona threw acid on that lady. I'm just like <laughs> Well, I also I also love the the almost saint like nature of the grandmother's picture because everything yeah, yeah. else in the film is so sleazy and so upsetting. The grandma's just this wonderful beacon of hope. Absolutely. And of uh, of a happy ending that and she is... she has no idea what's coming for. Yes. <laughs> Ms. Sheets isn't sure so sure about this plan. Vanessa's answer is like, 
all right, I'm just going to go. And so she handcuffs Ms. Sheets' leg to the bed. But she's very kind about it. I love Vanessa. Vanessa has this weird morality about her where she is fundamentally a good person who is forced by circumstance to do heinous things. Very like much, she makes yeah. sure that Ms. Sheets is comfy. Like she turns her around so she's not all twisted up. She says that she'll call the, she says, tells her how to call the person to let her free. Yeah, if, you, if you yell loud enough, the landlord will come and he'll, he'll hear <laughs> you. Um, and like, uh, it, it's again, this is the hardest thing to get across in the show is like, this was the problem with three way too, is Matthew Bright's direction and these characters and the way they talk and act are so hard to describe. Everything Vanessa does feels so matter of fact. She has she has basically two she has basically two modes where she is a just going through life uh, fairly perky and just be like, all right, this is happening. Okay, uh, <laughs> sorry, Todd, I cuffed you to the bed. Bye. Just yell loud enough, you'll be okay. <laughs> And the other is just rage. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Blind rage. And, and so it's it's wonderful to watch Reese Witherspoon do this act. She really just sells it. I she mean, does. when you told me Reese Witherspoon was in this, I was like, you mean Elle Woods is going to be playing <laughs> <laughs> sex worker, daughter of a sex worker? I was like, no. But no, she's she's great. Or Vanessa gets into her parents' car and drives off, drinking a beer as she cruises to find Chopper. <laughs> Vanessa wants Chopper to come north with her to Stockton to Grandma's house. But Chopper is sentencing next week. He can't go or Aww. else he'll get a year minimum. And what I love is, like, Vanessa doesn't, like, argue or cry. Okay. She'll, she'll cry a little bit later. She's yeah. just, like, she's just, like, all right, guess I'm on my own. And, yeah. But Chopper does give her his gun. Yep, which will become important. Uh, and he says he says it's to sell. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. which, I, which I find funny, like, because I feel like Vanessa's first thought on, like, oh, I got a gun, all right, would not yeah. be to sell it. Um, well, Chekhov's gun dictates that it's going to have to go off before the end of the movie. Absolutely. Vanessa and Chopper have a super long makeout. Oh, God. So gross. <laughs> then V gives him a beer before driving off. And now she, now as she's driving off drinking her own beer, she does let herself cry a little bit. But she wouldn't cry in front of Chopper. She's just like, no, this is how life goes. I just got to, I'll do my crying on the road while I'm drinking my bud. Yep. Um, and I, I, another line I noted, goodbye, Chopper, my beloved boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> And mere seconds later, Chopper is killed in a drive-by shooting. He tries to reach for the gun that he just gave to Vanessa, but alas, he has given it away, and he is shot dead. One of the things I wanted to see was I wanted to see her driving off, and I wanted to see her like just turn the corner, and then him just get hit by a car. Because I think that would be really like ironic and funny, and then I was like, alright, he didn't get hit by a car, but he got shot. Yeah, so like, almost same premise. So. Immediately. Yeah, no, it's, again, it's a fucking, and it, it's sort of played for really black comedic laughs, but it's... It is. Again, it's tragic. A young man has just been shot to death on the street. It's not it's so good. Yeah. But it's also real. Like, it happens. 
And it's and it, I mean it comes back too because I thought that was just gonna be on a chopper, but you know that comes back and stuff. Oh yeah, in a no, minimal either. way, but still in does. a very in, in a minimal way, but it's still going to be something that affects Vanessa. Of course, Vanessa makes it to the freeway. Yay, the title, Yay. the title. And we of the get movie. oh, and Danny Elfman. This doesn't even feel. This score does not feel like Danny Elfman. No, I aside, wrote this score is fantastic. Aside from the opening credits with the la 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 la, that feels that was. super Danny Elfman. But as she's getting onto the freeway, we get this great fuzzed out guitar. Like it just, it's kind of gnarly as we see the sign that she's getting onto the freeway where the I-5 killer roams. Danny Elfman has a TikTok now, which is completely out of the blue, but it is the, I follow it. It's the weirdest thing. Cause it, I mean, he doesn't look different for like 50 years. So he still looks insane. And he was just promoting his Hollywood bowl. But like seeing Danny Elfman on my phone, talk to me normally and be like, Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. I made a lot of... It's just so creepy. I've never seen an interview with the man. I have no clue what he sounds like. Um, he doesn't sound... Well, he sounds like Danny Elfman. That's all I can say. Is like, okay. However you assume he would sound, that's how he sounds. I assume. I Danny, love Danny Elfman. Uh, sure, that's fine. You're allowed <laughs> to do that. Uh, I assume Danny Elfman sounds like Tom Waits. Who's like... All right, Tim. Uh, what, what do you What do you want me to? Uh, how many la la las do you want this time around? Uh, it's actually higher than you would think. Really, like Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Four score and seven years. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth a new nation. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. Like Daniel Day Lewis wanted That's to do that in Lincoln, but Spielberg was like. No, no, Daniel, we can't do that. We gotta, we gotta make it more. And so he, but he, he did a little bit high, but no. Uh, he wanted to go full on Kermit, but Spielberg was yeah. like, no. Lincoln was um, had the highest register of anyone who was not a castrato, <laughs> and that's a fact. Is you it? can look that up in the Encyclopedia Britannica. I'm gonna write it um, down in my history book. Do it. Tell your go. Are you taking a history class right now in college? I'm taking medieval Europe. <laughs> okay, will you march up to that dumb shit who teaches that class? <laughs> and the you, lovely, nice old woman. Well, you're gonna slap her with your dick, and you're gonna say, <laughs> you're gonna say that Abraham Lincoln had the highest register of any man who was not a castrato. I'll tell her for that for you. And years. you know what's gonna happen the very next day? Mm-hmm. You're gonna be teaching that class. Damn right. And then I'm gonna. You know everything you need to know about all history. I'm going to say after that, Brad Hefner sends his regards. No, don't mention my name in this. I don't want to be associated with this incident. Just in case it gets out of hand, I'm going to distance myself. We're going to edit all that out. You're still going to do it because you need to take control of your own life. But no, I'm not involved in this at all. This is all an Ian Kiefer idea, 100% copyright 2020. Am I your uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and are you the FBI? Are you my Patsy? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, yeah. I'm trying to dick slap your history teacher. And that's (laughs) that's what all this is about. It's like, I'm going to feed him this line about Abraham. This is the, I know this is the perfect crime. By the way, CIA is generally who's implicated. Oh, I'm sorry. AFK. Thank you. you should be. You should be. I should flog myself for that. You, Yeah, at least. You should uh, <laughs> uh, walk on some glass, put some glass in your shoe, broken glass Definitely. in your shoe. I have some Legos. Um, I don't really have a lot of glass. Yeah, but. no. 
right. So, so she four. gets onto the freeway. Unfortunately, the car dies. But mm-hmm. thankfully, Mega Creep Kiefer Sutherland so pulls creepy. over to. <laughs> How do you feel about Kiefer Sutherland in general? Okay, that's a good question. I have not seen 24, which I know is his most famous role. Uh, I heard he's very good in it. I have seen Kiefer Sutherland in three things now. A Time to Kill. I think that's right. Yeah, with Ma- with uh, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson. It's, it, oh, okay. It's a courtroom drama, John Grisham novel. Oh, okay. It's, I, I kind of like it. It's the famous quote of like Samuel L. Jackson. He's in court. Kevin Spacey is oh. in it. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I'm yes, glad they yes, they deserve yeah. to die, and I hope they burn it down. Oh, that one, yeah. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland plays the. So, like, if I remember correctly, you I don't need to describe it. a time to kill on the. Oh, no, I know. Yes, but you've seen him. He plays a villain. He plays a racist, like, terrible person who gets in with the KKK. Yeah, so a villainous role. I thought he was really good in that. And my favorite Kiefer Sutherland performance is Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Oh, that's right. It's Sam Stanley. And he's one of my favorite parts of that. I just love everything about him in that. He's also amazing in this, but that's all I've seen Kiefer Sutherland in. I I enjoy him in Twin Peaks greatly, too. I always forget he's in that movie. Him and... um, uh, You should watch Dark City. Dark City is a fantastic film. I gotta Um, see it, because I do like Kiefer Sutherland. I just haven't seen him in a lot. uh, Yeah, you need to check out Dark City. Um, I, I... I have no problem with Kiefer Sutherland. Probably my favorite thing he did is that clip where he's drunk at a Christmas party and someone says, Hey, Kiefer, you a pirate man. And Kiefer says, That explains everything. And then he just runs and fucking tackles a Christmas tree. What the fuck? I'll send it to you. It's hilarious. I, need to see that. I love this so much. It's the best thing Kiefer Sutherland ever did. I did. He has my like- last name. Except it just spelled differently. Yeah. Yeah. For his first name. I was yeah, like his my last name for his first name. Um but I That was I, a good I, joke. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> cut that out, don't worry. Thank um, God. <laughs> uh but I have seen twenty four and I enjoyed him well enough for that fucking jingoistic uh pro torture, whatever the fuck. But I've uh, never seen he's him. amazing in this movie. I love him so much. He's great. He's fucking killing it. And if you were to tell me, like, if you were to be like, oh, bro, you need to got, you need to watch this movie. Kiefer Sutherland's a powerhouse. I'd be like, I know he can be good, but a powerhouse? And, like, he fucking brings it as our big bad wolf, Bob Wolf. Him and Reese. I mean, this film is almost uh, perfect for me just because of their two performances. Oh, my God. I hope they do. Uh, they should do an off-Broadway production of True West together. Oh, uh, they're, and they should, switch roles. Should, just like Tom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, here's what I want Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland to do. Three months of True West where they switch roles. Three months of yeah. Waiting for Godot. Where they switch roles. Switch roles. And then they do... Rosencrantz uh, and Guildenstern are dead. Sure, I was going to say Frankenstein, where it's like Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict Cumberbatch oh. switch back and forth as the Doctor and the Monster. But Did yeah, they no, do that? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that's one of Billy's favorite. Sorry to mention my ex-co-host so much. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Billy, Billy told me about that, where, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch and John, Johnny Lee Miller would switch roles as the doctor and the monster. 
I've seen Benedict uh, clips of Benedict Cumberbatch playing the monster. I didn't know they switched and everything. So yep. that's fascinating. Uh, but yeah, the only problem I have with uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character and the whole thing, and it's not anything with his acting, um, is everything I've read. They say he's a charismatic gentleman who turns out to be a creep. No, this guy oh, is he's... a creep from the first time you see him. <laughs> Uh, but I think I, it plays well with Vanessa's uh, na- na- naivety. How do you say that word? Naivete. Naivete. It, because she just doesn't see this guy as creepy at all. Yeah. No, he, he definitely, it, from the start, you get the wolf vibes. You get the wolf Very vibes. Much. Like, there is a little bit of charisma and concern, but because you presumably read the film synopsis, you know yes. not to trust this man. Our big bad wolf pulls over, offers to assist, which he doesn't do. He just tells. Did you mention his name? Yep, Bob Wolverton. Yes. Okay, one of my favorite parts of the film is literally just the wolf is there, (laughs) (laughs) and such an unassuming first name, just Bob, just so generic. Um, But instead, he offers her a ride to at least L.A. Yeah, might not be able to take her to Stockton. He can take her to L.A. Also, I forgot to mention that for this first half of the film, Vanessa does carry a red basket as well. Yes, I, I have that written down. I didn't. Yeah, it's just, again, with that little red riding hood, throwing it in there. Kiefer introduced himself as Bob Wolverton, as I mentioned. And before they drive off, he makes sure he she fastens her seatbelt, which yeah. is, uh, again, like we know Kiefer's our bad guy. But at the same time, I love this little bit of like, hey, make sure you're safe before I rape and murder you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Just so fucking devious. And even more devious, we find out that Bob is a counselor at a school for boys with emotional trouble. I and wouldn't let this guy anywhere near my children. No, no. Absolutely not. No. And we never get into that side of things. Like, we, it's basically impl- uh, established that. Bob's thing is young girls, very young girls. I can't imagine these boys are getting helped a lot. Like I can't imagine like, I I don't, I see Bob doing a lot more harm under the guise of doing good than we suspect. He seems like he'd be like in trying to teach him how to be incels and alpha males. (laughs) Or just like fucking with them emotionally and just being like, why are you such a pussy? And yeah, like I know what he means for boys with emotional trouble. I, I assume he means like rowdy boys, violent boys. But at the same time, I just imagine this school where the halls are just filled with weeping young boys who are like, <laughs> I, I saw a butterfly and just the temporality of existence. You're listening to My Chemical Romance and just <laughs> crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's where things begin to get insid. Oh, very quickly, things get insidious. Where Bob, being a counselor, tries to get Vanessa to talk about her family and her situation, telling her how much easier it is to talk to a stranger. And he finds out that her mother is in jail and all this stuff. Basically, learning that she won't be missed. If something yeah. happens, but Bob is still playing the sympathetic ear. Kiefer Sutherland is doing so this wonderful so tightrope act where it's like, he's clearly a predator, but he's also like, I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy, Vanessa. Like just, 
answer my creepy questions. Very much, yeah. I, I actually wonder what he thinks of this role. Because now he's so known as being a good person and everything. And this is so un... Like, not as a human, but I mean, like, playing good actors. Or, uh, yeah. like, Jack Bauer's a hero and stuff. Yeah. I wonder what he thinks about, like, this part, like, and everything. I hope... Like, I have no clue. But I hope yeah. that he uh, appreciates the appreciated the chance to stretch his legs. I do, and, too. Like, get to play a really twisted dude who is going yeah. to become literally physically twisted later. <laughs> yes. Good, good joke. Cut to a restaurant where Vanessa and Bob are eating. Vanessa's opening up. She shows a picture of her dad to Bob. And this picture happens to be a picture of the mass murderer, Richard Speck, who murdered eight nursing students in 1966. Yep. And I'm a huge fan of Mindhunter, the oh, yeah? David Hunter show. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. You would love it. Um, Parts of it. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I knew that face right away because he's a character in the show. He They meet him in prison. He has a bird on his... Uh, and I was like, is that... And then I looked up and was like, yep, that's who that is. <laughs> Richard yeah. Speck uh, would go on to have a lot of fun in prison. Yeah. I don't know if you know about this side of his story, but he was given like female hormones and basically that, became yeah. a, a party boy or a party girl in prison. And he was having the time of his life. Yeah. Vanessa is cussing and belching and eventually they go for a walk. Bob keeps laying it on gentle and sympathetic, but also slightly creepy. Again, Kiefer's playing that edge. Vanessa relates a story about a time she was in foster care and beat up an old man who was trying to assault her. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to get a little bit deeper into the fucked upness. When we get into the old man I, at dinner, one of my favorite little like lines is when they're talking about the old man that they she had to help like, clean and had to yes. help like use the restroom. And I love that she's like... They had this old man. I think his name was Grandpa. <laughs> like, I love that line. It's like he had Weisenheimers. <laughs> yes, he had Weisenheimers or some sort of something. But Bob asks if Vanessa's stepfather ever molested her. Yeah. And she says that the lady cop asked her that a few hours ago. Bob asks how that makes her feel. And Vanessa says, like I got daddy's fuckhole tattooed on my forehead. Which again is a dev. It's it's a <sighs> funny turn of phrase, but it's devastating. It's dark, yeah, definitely. And Reese is playing this character was again. It's a funny character. She's not smart. She's all id, but she has so much humanity and so much of a concrete personality. Where she, it's like you have to be kind and have manners, but also I'm sort of sloppy and uh, I'll cuss and belch. And I, th I think when you said she's not smart, I agree that she's not book smart. No. She's extremely street smart. She's extremely sm street smart and fairly emotionally smart as well. Like emotionally one intelligent. Of, one of my favorite things about the film is its depiction of intelligence because you have Kiefer Sutherland, who's like this incel brainiac dude. He's like, I, he's super smart and everything. And he's this twisted psychopath. Who's like, 
book smart and everything. And then you have this girl who we'll see like he starts screaming at her saying she's stupid and everything, but she's able to outsmart him. And she's basically able to outsmart all the smart people, conventionally yeah. smart people. And I think that's really interesting. No, you are 100% correct. You are 100% correct. Um, Bob says, maybe this is an issue you should explore. And he sort of fucking sidles up closer behind her in this very subtle fucked up move. Like this is the artistry of the sleaze and the exploitation where it's like, there are these moments where it's like, it's just these little movements where you know that it's not just some dumbass in the director's chair. Who's like a director. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least even that, if that was Kiefer's choice, like, he's bringing this to it where it's just like this very subtle control thing, this very subtle invasion of space with her there and him behind her and everything like that camera angles. Good. Um, and this is his debut. Is it not Matthew? I, yes. Yes. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, and again, Reese with lines like I've been so anguished. I can't even remember being happy. <laughs> In all the time, Bob is just moving his mouth closer to her ear, like just, mm-hmm. just this unwanted and totally inappropriate intimacy. Then we cut to Vanessa sobbing in the car as Bob drives, and Vanessa is experiencing some sort of true catharsis from talking to Bob and like talking to anybody about her experiences and about her trauma. And again, it makes it so much more devastating that she's just like talking to the villain. Yeah. It's really dark. And she says she was 11 when Larry first touched her and Bob keeps probing and probing. Vanessa's mom was in a halfway house and Vanessa had become the woman of the house. And one of her chores was to touch him. Now, Another great thing about Vanessa's character is sort of this arrest development. She'll she'll never say cock or penis or dick or whatever. She just says, you know what? I had to touch mm-hmm. as you know what. And it, that is so indicative of trauma where it's just like, I, I don't even. And she'll, she'll chastise other people for using those words later because it's just such a traumatic thing for her to like think about it in quote-unquote, dirty terms like that. The one thing I will say, and Reese Witherspoon is fantastic in this. I already said a whole bunch. I, okay, she doesn't sell. I think she's 15, is she 15 in the film? I think so. So that didn't sell, obviously, because uh, I thought she was like 20 this whole film. And then oh, okay. I, I think we get later, she's like, I'm three years away from 18. I'm like, you're 15 this entire, which kind of, I mean, maybe that was an intentional choice because Matthew Bright's like, oh, this and everything, and everything you're just watching has been being done to a 15 year old and everything. So that might just be Matthew Bright also being fucked. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's possible, but Bob again, still playing the good guy assures Vanessa. She was the victim in all of this as Vanessa admits all this heavy stuff and talks about how like, like she doesn't say that it was her fault, but uh, I, a lot of abuse victims and abuse survivors and, uh, trauma survivors like have this uh, idea that it was their fault. Like, oh, absolutely. I yeah, I feel that way. So, and now we're gonna take another step down into the darkness as Bob asks if he has Vanessa's 
absolute trust. And Vanessa and Reese Witherspoon sells this line, says that she trusts him more than she's ever trusted anyone in her whole life. This person she met today. (laughs) This was the first person who ever, like, Asked, never cared. cared about her. Like I'm, I'm sure that Chopper loved Vanessa, but Chopper probably has his own traumas and abuses. That's like, that's true. But we cut to Kiefer smiling, not grinning. It's not toothy, no. But he's restrained. But this predatory smile. Bob says he has a very experimental psychological technique that could help her. With that smile, there's also really good sinister music playing. Yes. Danny Elfman's fucking hitting it. And good, really effective use of lighting. We'll get more into that later, but the lighting I really like in this film where you have like half of his face is light, half his face is dark and everything. Yes. Bob says he has a very experimental psychological technique that could help her. She agrees to it, even though it involves a battery of uncomfortable questions. Vanessa is game and again this is devastating we know bob is bad this poor broken girl is just opening herself up wide to this stranger because because he's just asking for the first time in her life it seems like yeah yeah the first question is foul yeah bob asks if when larry ejaculated in her mouth if she felt like a human urinal even after and Vanessa does like bristles at the question but even after she (laughs) says she felt like that Bob makes her say the phrase out loud Yeah. then Bob asks if Vanessa enjoyed it when Larry fucked her and now now for the first time in the film we see Vanessa's fucking power we see her rage we see her this isn't like when larry tried to touch her Mm -hmm. this is which again is so fucked up but this is like this is like she knows this is bad this is like at least when again as fucked up as it is when larry did stuff her mom was still around Mm -hmm. sometimes but The, the other fucked up thing with this is it's not completely fictional or fantasy. A lot of this shit is what Freud and Young and all these psychologists that are supposed to be seen as geniuses did and everything. Especially with Freud. Because Freud is, I mean, Freud's fucked. Yes. From the very little I know. I could definitely see this happening in in Freud. I mean, even, this is getting a little, but like, I know a big thing in high school was this dumb thing called the kink test. I don't know if you've heard of it. And it's basically this list where you you basically you take yes on everything you've done and it tells you how like perverted you are or something. Gotcha. Something in high school, everyone did it and everything. One of the things in there is basically do you like being used as a human toilet? And it's so fucked. It like I mean I don't want to king shame anyone, but like Yeah, uh it, whatever you want to do as long as it's consensual, safe, and Yes basically those two things like if you're into piss drink all the piss you can i i pee like 18 times a day i can give you a ton of piss <laughs> you can sell it like uh, that girl's bath water bell delphine there you go yeah no yeah everyone wants a 34 year old grocery worker's piss <laughs> is fucking 
wine-soaked, cloudy piss. There you go. Like I said, we're getting the fucking we're getting the fucking rage, Vanessa. Now, Vanessa, yeah. Vanessa's cottoning again. She is not book smart, but she's not no. stupid. She cottons on to what Bob's doing. Like yeah. this isn't therapy. You're getting off on this because she's had a lifetime of creepy older men getting off on her. She yep. calls Bob a piece of shit and demands he pulls over. Bob protests saying it could cause irreparable damage to stop. Vanessa doesn't give a shit and begins grabbing the wheel, driving Bob off the road. He, or she might have yanked out her, yanked out his car keys. Yanked out the car keys, yeah. Uh, uh, that was a little cloudy. Vanessa tries to escape and in an insidious detail, we see yeah. that Bob has, there are no door handles on the passenger side. She cannot get out. It's that was fucked. I was like, oh, oh that that is super fucked, and it's so fucked up. Like at one point, I was writing a horror story that involved a man abducting a young girl, and there were no door handles. And I think I yeah. stole that from Freeway, uh, like subconsciously, yeah, <laughs> like like oh yeah, no, that was so fucked up. I don't even remember it, but it lives in my subconscious forever. That would be fucking horrifying. I mean, that's like just the sign of a psychopath and everything. Like, well, he, we're going to learn that he's the I-5 killer. He's a serial killer. Yes. Like, he oh my has God, his yeah. methods. Bob hits Vanessa and threatens to slit her throat. He makes yeah. Vanessa get the keys, and while she's reaching down on the floor of the car, he mm -hmm. slices off her ponytail, which yep. is a very symbolic shaming technique. Like, removing yeah. someone's hair is... Yeah. Very much, yeah. Now, Vanessa comes to a realization, and we get an amazing exchange. Vanessa says, Are you that guy on the news? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you that guy that's been killing all them girls on the freeway, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you killing all them girls, Bob? <laughs> I love and, her line. I don't know if it's before or after this, but you wouldn't lack it if someone was doing this to you. Again, no shit. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Vanessa has a very simplistic worldview, which also relates to her trauma and arrest development, where it's like, no, you you do treat other people how you want to be treated. It's not, yes. the world isn't this fucked up. And if you don't do it, you're going to get punished, even if I'm the one who has to punish you. But I, I just love I just love the line, why are you killing all them girls, Bob? That's a good line. Yeah. Vanessa Vanessa knows who he is and is still like she's frightened, but she's still like, fuck you. Like, yeah. why are you doing this? But Bob says he's reached his limit with the drug addicts and the alcoholics, the sex the sex workers, and the bastard offspring of sex workers. Like, he, he's basically got that Travis Bickle, like, a rain's gonna come and clean the filth off the street. And at, at the mention of the the bastard offspring of whores, V protests, I ain't no trick, baby! Yes, I was gonna say. So what is a trick baby? A trick baby, I assume, is the child of a, a sex worker conceived through sex work. Okay, I didn't know if that was part of uh, Freeway 2, because that's the second part of it. Well, I guess it could also be con like interpreted as 
a young girl who turns tricks. Like a okay. trick baby, because that's what's more implied by Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. I'm not sure. There's a lot of slang in this movie. There's a couple instances of slang in this movie that I'm just yeah. not sure how to interpret. Okay. That, I mean, that makes sense what you said, though. Basically, Bob's sick of anyone who th- who he thinks of as garbage people. Yep, there's the... Bob drives off, and Vanessa, again, smart in her own way, calls Bob on his bullshit. She knows that he feels like he's on a mission. He's a mission killer. He's he's someone who is doing the right thing, even though it's clear. But all he really wants to do, as Vanessa is going to point out, is get off. Get off in a yep. sex type way. Like, and it's true. Like Bob thinks he's cleaning up filth and taking out garbage, but he really just wants to rape and murder young women. Just for his sick pleasures, yeah. Yeah. And Vanessa, again, in her Arrested Development State asks if Bob is going to do sex to me now. (laughs) Yep. And all the while, Bob is holding a straight razor. He's fresh off his role as Sweeney Todd (laughs) in in the fucking uh, L.A. Regional Theater. The new revival. There's a new revival coming. Now... We get the implication that not only is Bob a rapist and a murderer, but he's also a necrophile because he implies he's going to fuck Vanessa's corpse. Yeah. Bob insults Vanessa's mom. Vanessa insults Bob's mom. Bob hits her. And once again, Vanessa brings up Bob's hypocrisy. And Bob, so upset about not having control, screams that we're not here to talk about me. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about you, so you better get your fucking pants down. Vanessa pleads. Bob hits her again and says, get your fucking pants down, you fucking cunt. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a bridge too far for Vanessa. Because yeah. now, she, now she's not taking it. She bristles at the word, but Bob still has the razor to her throat. She says, okay, I need a minute to unlace my boots. V bends down, and when she rises, she strikes Bob and jumps into the back seat. This is so fucking awesome. I'm so fucking proud of Vanessa here. And she's so smart, too. She Well, it's survival technique. Like, she all, all she knows is how to survive. Yeah, because I wouldn't, like, in that situation, I would have never thought about, like, going down for the boot and hit and everything. That is brilliant. When she comes back up out of the back seat, she has chopper's gun to Bob's head. Hell yeah. She yeah. makes him drop the razor out the window, and she shouts, You know you shouldn't just let me out of the car when I asked you to, Bob. See where bad manners get you? Yeah, I got that one, too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. She's, And again, as funny as it is, it's indicative of so much trauma and so much childlike behavior and so much just like, this is someone who was, even at 15, is mm-hmm. younger than her years, like, yeah, she no, gives definitely. Bob a few light pistol whips, and immediately Bob turns into a quivering pile of shit. Yeah, I w- I will say maybe I wouldn't hit the man who's driving the car that you're in and stuff. Like that's but an easy way to get in a car crash. It is, but Vanessa is also incredibly impulsive. She is very much. Bob tries to lie his way out, saying something evil came over me. <laughs> I- I'm sick. Vanessa doesn't buy it. She She's past that. Yeah. V threatens to turn him into the pigs. 
Bob points out that prominent white men don't go to prison. Very true. And I wrote... I wrote in my notes, there's truly a problem with society when the sociopathic sex pervert is right about letting him go free. Yeah. Like, no, it, that absolutely. Was, oh, my God. And Vanessa would get sent to foster care, which is what she was trying to avoid the entire time. Yep. Bob offers her some money, and they go, I'll give you some money, and we'll go our separate ways. V tells them to pull off the road. <laughs> Vanessa, or Vanessa tells them to pull off the road, and Vanessa is repeatedly threatening him with the words, do you want to get shot a whole bunch of times? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and every time it would send me. Yeah, no, it was good. Her delivery is just perfect. She is so good. Like, Reese, like I feel like, I don't know jack shit about Reese Witherspoon or her career. I've never that. seen Legally Blonde or most of her movies. But... Between this and election, she has so much chops that, like, I feel that the the industry did her dirty, not letting yeah. her stretch her legs more. All I know about her now is she has her book club. Oh, does she? she? Like, there's so many books I have to read for college. Or like, oh, it's Reese Witherspoon's book club, and I was like, oh, cool. But I haven't seen her in anything since Walk the Line. Yeah, that's probably the last thing I saw her in. I know she's in some movie where she plays a cop because she looks very attractive in that uniform. Hmm, I see. <laughs> Bob pulls far off the road, and Vanessa is fully in control. She's shouting at Bob when he tries to talk. Not just because she's angry, but it's fair that she gets to talk because Bob has been rambling this whole time, so now it's her turn to talk. Absolutely. And Vanessa is shaming him, telling him he's crooked. He starts to cry, saying, there's so much I want to tell you. And she cuts him off. The time for talk is over. She slides along the back seat closer to him in his ear, just like he did to her earlier. Mm-hmm. And she wants to know one thing. Does he accept <laughs> Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal Savior? <laughs> and weeping, which, you know what? If someone had my a gun to my head and asked me this, I would be like, oh no, this is bad too. Weeping, mm-hmm. Bob says that Vanessa is scaring him. But <laughs> Vanessa demands an answer. <laughs> Bob says he does. Vanessa says good and fires the gun through his neck. Yep. And Bob is prone for a few beats. He uh, head on the steering wheel. Then he begins seizing and gurgling, gripping his neck. Blood's gushing out. Gushing out. He gets out of the car and staggers away. She shoots him a few more times, including putting one in his goddamn head. Yep. After which she pukes and she begins to pray. Oh, God. Oh, dear God. That was so fucking bad. bad. (laughs) I was at a loss, so I left it up to you. I love you with all my heart, and I hope you don't hate me more than you already do. Please bless Mama, Larry, and Chopper. And that line, like that little monologue is so one good and fascinating because she's like, she assumes God hates her, even though she clearly is Mm -hmm. religious. And the fundament of religion is like that God loves you, but she feels Mm -hmm. she's so filthy that God couldn't love her. And now she's just made it worse. And she also asks God to bless the man who molested her for years. Yeah, I was just going to say, bless which Larry, is too. Fascinating. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't even be surprised if she blessed, asked God to bless fucking Bob. She's <laughs> going down you. all the people that have wronged you. Like, Jesus. After her prayer, she, she sees a shooting star. And ever in her element, Vanessa rolls Bob. She takes his wallet, some of his smokes. Then she goes to a truck stop diner just fucking covered, covered in blood. In. Don't have time to wash that off. That's not going to look suspicious at all. Well, where would you wash it off? I don't know, but that's not going to look suspicious at all. But uh, after the waitress gives her a weird look, she does the best to wash the literal blood off her hands. Literal blood. Meanwhile... That plays well in her naivete naivete as well. Yeah. And also just like, she thinks she did the right thing. So like, no one's going to punish her. Meanwhile, Bob has stumbled into a hospital, barely alive, and as a result, the cops are waiting for Vanessa as she exits the diner and and possibly Reese Witherspoon's best delivery. As all these cops are surrounding the diner and she emerges, she greets the cops with an enthusiastic, Hey, officer, what's up? Oh, it's perfect. No, like she, she, and she doesn't know that Bob survived. She believed that she straight up murdered a man. And she just, absolutely, because she did the right thing, she's just, she's, and even though she hates pigs, she's like, hey! Oh, it's so good. Also, when Bob's going into the hospital, that POV perspective is so cool. Because oh, we don't yeah. know, because we all assume he's dead too. And then we just see this, like, I think he has labored breathing, and it's just this stumbled camera walking through, and I was like, ah, oh, I bet yeah. this is Bob. It's good. It's it's a nice bit of style. The cops push her against a car. They find her gun. They say, she has a gun! And she says, big wow! <laughs> Back at the hospital, Sheriff Dan Hedaya is there. And you know what? If I were in a hospital, I would want Dan Hedaya there. Like, I would just want him there. Like, Make-A-Wish superstar Dan Hedaya. (laughs) Like, every nine-year-old kid hoping that it's like Chris Pratt or Tom Holland comes to see their cancer-riddled ass. And it's just just 81-year-old character actor Dan Hedaya being like, You know I worked with Tom Hanks. (laughs) I was in The Usual Suspects. Want to see me play a cop? <laughs> I there, play one I in like three hundred films. <laughs> also, it turns out that Bob is going to need a radical colectomy, and a colectomy yeah. is a surgery that removes all or part of the colon. So Bob is going to have a colostomy bag, and we get this gnarly sight of Bob on the operating table, just bleeding and wrapped in gauze, and the blood is seeping through the gauze. It's gnarly as shit. It's yeah, and it's good and, too. It's good. And even though I love this, even though he's so fucked up, the cops are still trying to interview him. Yeah. And Dan Hedaya shows him a picture of Vanessa. It seems like a school picture where she's sticking her tongue out. <laughs> What's exactly? Great character detail. Love it. And Bob says, Yes, that was the person who shot him. And Dan Hedaya uh has been in a hundred things. He was on Two previous 1,000 Wives of Weird movies, uh, Joe vs. the Volcano and Buckaroo Banzai. I love him, and someday I'm going to make a character actor dating sim where it's like uh, it's like an anime 
representation of a bunch of my favorite character actors and you try to court them and fuck them. So it'd be like Dan Hedaya, uh, Michael Shannon, Harry Dean Stanton, John Carroll Lynch. Um, I like Stephen McKinley Henderson a lot. I don't, I'm not familiar. He's in a lot, but my favorite role is he's in Fences with Denzel Washington. I've seen that. Uh, He plays the neighbor. Okay. It's he's been like a hundred other things too, but he's good. I like him. Okay. Um, well, Steven you can, Root. Steven Root would be another good one for the dating sim for uh, all the chubby chasers. Next, Dan Hedaya talks to Bob, Bob's wife, Mimi, played by Brooke Shields, who is in uh, Suddenly Susan, and I think that's her big credit. Dan Hedaya says that Vanessa might be treated leniently because she's a minor, and Mimi is furious. I knew Brooke Shields as a model. I didn't know her as an actress. I didn't know if that if she like was a big actress or not. Or I don't think she was a big actress. Like I said, I think she was on Suddenly Susan, a sitcom, and um, mm. I mostly know her as a very pretty lady too. She's really good in this, though. She is good. She's good in this, and I I don't think I've seen her in much else. But she plays a house suburban, suburban house. trophy wife of a perverted serial killer very well. Yeah. Socialite, yeah. She's going to be game for a fucked up effect later on. She sure um, is. Next, we see Vanessa and Dan Hadea talking. I never refer to Dan Hadea as his character name. I just I don't even know his character name. I just know. I'm not sure either. And Vanessa's in an orange prison jumpsuit. <laughs> and here's where I noted: Oh man, Dan Hadea and Reese Witherspoon in the same room. Talk about a power meeting. Talk about an <laughs> Illuminati. <laughs> if there's two people who control the world, or at least Hollywood, it's Dan Hedaya and teenage Reese Witherspoon. They Absolutely. had Hollywood by the balls before <laughs> Epstein came. It was like, hey, are those balls? It's like the uh, scene in The Matrix, too, when they break in and find the architect. It's just Dan Hedaya and young Reese Witherspoon <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the chairs. <laughs> Hey, we're trying to make a crossover between Joe versus the Volcano and Legally Blonde. (laughs) Vanessa is mostly struck on the fact that she's seen Dan Hedaya on TV. She's like, you're that guy from TV, ain't you? Uh, And Vanessa is very proud of the fact that she took out the I-5 killers, even though the cops tell her that he's still alive. And she could be tried as an adult. Mm-hmm. Vanessa says she'll talk, but she wants to call Chopper afterwards. Vanessa tells her story, but the cops don't buy it. Vanessa says if she tried to turn Bob in, it would be his word against hers, which he, he told her earlier, and she yeah. would go to foster care. Plus, if she let him go and he killed some other girl, that would be on her. Vanessa mm-hmm. has a very strong sense of justice and responsibility. A lot, I think it's a lot of it is with her Christianity. But no, I think it's that. And it's also just, again, the naivete of like, no, like uh, good people do good things and they prevent bad things from happening to good people. And Very much. Dan Hedaya asked Vanessa about her criminal record. It includes seven shoplifting arrests, three <laughs> arson attempt arrests, and soliciting, which one of the cops, uh, a black cop, uh, who is Dan Hedaya's partner, says, just doing what comes natural. And Vanessa gets offended 
and asks if prostitution comes right. natural, like being an N word. Yeah. Yeah, no, this isn't great, but and here's where it gets complex. Because our immediate assumption is that Vanessa is not racist because she dates no. proper. Uh she is just saying something to get a rise out of an authority figure who is who said something fucked up to her. Very much. Uh she's a natural born whore. One thing that is brought up in Freeway 2 is that Natasha Leone's character doesn't date white men because white men were prominently the people who abused her. Oh. So just because you date or even marry a person of color does not mean you are not racist because Mm -hmm. at least in some way. So it's a very complex thing that's going on here. Like, I don't like that she says the N word either, but it's also, I think a very complex character thing. I think it's an important character trait. I agree with you about that. And I really like the subversion of, of like you said, thinking, Oh, well, she's not racist because, because that's a lot of, um, a lot of people just in general. I mean, even people like, will be like, Oh, well, I can't be homophobic. I have a gay friend. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean anything like, and everything. And I think this detail comes really important later on when the cop even sees a picture of her and wait, she has, yeah. she's dating a black, and so I think that's a lot of it too. So even though I wish he didn't use the word, I see why it was used. Yeah, and I don't think it makes the movie worse for it. And uh, Vanessa says that she that the cop doesn't like being called the N word any more than she likes being called a natural born whore. Yep. And Vanessa ends up bitch slapping the cop and beating him with a chair. Rightly Which so. Again, doesn't feel like a racist act, just like you called me a trick baby or that I'm like a natural born whore or whatever. Again, whore is the film's language, yes. not ours. Um, the apologies. cop is really creepy, too. He's weird. He's a weird character that I never really understood. And it's probably like the weakest part of the film. I think it's supposed to show all men around her were just really creepy. But then why doesn't Dan Hideo act like that i i'm not sure that's a good point like dan hedaya is and dan hedaya is white if you were not familiar um it's it's a weird thing the character doesn't play right even though i love dan hedaya i think it would have worked better if they were both extremely creepy to her and everything because then it would show all men around her yeah because i mean i would i don't know if i'd argue this but i know how you guys talked about how frankenhooker was a feminist film i would argue especially when we get in the prison scene that this almost has feministic ideals to it and everything i think i could, i think i can see it but bring it up when we get there later even though she beat the shit out of this cop <laughs> vanessa still gets her phone call and she she, she tries to call chopper she calls him at his mom's house and she finds out that chopper is dead and we get some great face acting from reese witherspoon just this devastation but also like there's this element of like oh this is how my life goes like everyone goes away everyone dies i'm left on my own um yeah i feel like we're gonna get that what's that song all on my own that is all by that's it don't want to be i have no clue uh but yeah but uh, next we see Vanessa in court, still in her jumpsuit. And now we get the first sight of Bob post-assault. 
And Bob is rolled in on a wheelchair. His face is, he's almost like Two-Face. Two-Face and even the Elephant Man. It reminded me of what I had to do for that and everything with my face and everything. His face is in sort of a, uh, the right side is permanently disfigured. He's lost full sight of his right eye. It's all scarred over. He's in headgear. His mouth is in sort of a permanent grimace. And I thought it was a monitor. Later, we're going to find out it's an electronic voice box on his chest. Yes. And Vanessa's reaction in court is, Holy shit! Look who got beat with the ugly stick! And then I also love shit that, Is that you, Bob? (laughs) That is my favorite line in the whole movie. It's great. It's great. She, She lacks so much restraint. She Again, she's in court. And her lawyer should be like, stop, stop right now. But her lawyer is probably a public defender who doesn't really give a shit. Oh, her lawyer doesn't. Yeah, we see that. He doesn't give a shit about he. All he really tries to do is be like, uh, she's illiterate and she's a minor and you should let her go. You should go easy on her. But yeah, Vanessa's just fucking... It's like the the Comedy Central roast of Bob Wolverton. She's just like... I love the lawyer after says, are you out of your mind? <laughs> the judge eventually decides a report must be prepared to ascertain Vanessa's suitability to be tried as an adult. Mm-hmm. Vanessa is sent to a juvenile detention facility where she meets Rhonda. Rhonda. Whose face is covered in scars and Rhonda is played by the wonderful Brittany Murphy, RIP. The late actress, yeah. Yes. And we find out that Rhonda is on restriction because she was accused of touching Wanda Z inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that Matthew Bright seems to like lesbian uh, female prisoners because one of them is going to be very prominent in Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick wow. Baby. We also, we, we also find out that Rhonda is in for huffing paint. Well, huffing paint, and also she had some uh, heroin shoved up her cooch. Yes. <laughs> V or Vanessa is approached by a Latina tough girl who uh, the again, another thing we'll get in freeway Two: confessions of a trick baby with barely any provocation. Vanessa attacks this girl, slams her head repeatedly into a pillar, then gives her a few whips with a payphone and takes her opponent to the, <laughs> to the ground. And she's about a few seconds away from just plunging this sharpened yeah. stick into this girl's ear, like just full on killing her. Mm-hmm. Vanessa can be a savage fucking dog. She can. There's a great line before that with Rhonda as well, where Rhonda's like, I la- I love girls. And Vanessa, you can keep them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rhonda says something like Chola alert. And Vanessa's like, how yes. many? And Rhonda's like three, but only one you got to be worried about. Matthew Bright also loves women in prison and apparently mm. young girls in prison because that's how Freeway 2 starts out. But he doesn't love them enough to make a whole feature about them. No. Uh, but the guards come, they pull her off, she's taken to an isolation cell and sedated. And she dreams about Grandma's trailer, which in her dreams is... The outside is decorated with giant giraffes and clowns and... <laughs> It looks what? straight out of Pink Flamingos. Yes. It looks like she lives on the set of Pink Flamingos. Or that fucking Taylor Swift video. Um, 
Oh, do you need to calm down or something? Yeah, it looks like that. It does kind of, yeah. Do you think Taylor Swift stole from goddamn Freeway? I bet so. That's where she gets all her music inspiration from. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) You know that song Ugly Stick on her new album? (laughs) That song about um, Jake Gyllenhaal called Get Your Hands Off My Goddamn Anatomy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. In her isolation cell, we see Vanessa fashioning a shank out of a toothbrush and some tape. Meanwhile, the main lady guard receptionist something narrates that Vanessa is too far gone and must be tried as an adult. And now, like, I know this is a movie where... Reese Witherspoon has shot a man repeatedly. She's beaten the shit out of a a woman. Mm -hmm. She is, uh, uh, can't read well and has been picked up for soliciting and has committed multiple arsons. But this montage of Reese Witherspoon fashioning a shank is so goddamn glorious. And so like, if I could like, if I had to like go into a, a a normie, if I had to try to sell this to normies, I'd be like, "You're not illegally blonde here, is fashioning a shank." <laughs> um, I mean that in the the scene when she actually uses it is. Fantastic. Oh my god, that's wrong. fucking brutal. We later find out that she learned how to make her shank from Larry. <laughs> yes. Um, I was going to say, I'm surprised that they give her plastic wrap because like in solitary confinement, wouldn't that be like able to like asphyxiate yourself or something? Possibly. I mean, uh, we already know that Matthew Bright seems to not know the difference between a parole officer and a social service worker. So he could not really know the inner workings of isolation cells and female juvenile detention centers, or he could know and just not care. Like, she needs to get the shank somehow. Maybe he just wants to see a bunch of pretty ladies in prison. I mean, who doesn't? Mm. (laughs) Lock up the pretty ladies! That's my rallying cry. That's what I'm going (laughs) to run for president on. That's my platform, is if, are you a hottie? Go to Sing Sing. Go go to Guantanamo. Well, no, we don't need to go that far. Okay. Uh, Folsom (laughs) Prison for Sexy Babes. That, That's that my new country your, album. I was going to say, it should be on your new country album that you're making. <laughs> I fucked a girl in Reno because she was so hot. And that's 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 dude humor. That's like all you need to do. There um, you go. You can get with the conservative. Like, yeah, I can be... Me and Tom McDonald are going on tour. <laughs> you can go on the Joe Rogan podcast together. He does his raps and I do my... Uh, Parodies of songs that are just about me fucking hot chicks. There you go. Um, late, late one night, after Vanessa gets out of isolation, Vanessa has a little bit of a heartfelt conversation with Rhonda, mm-hmm. where she admits that she plans to escape. And she's not afraid to mess up any of the staff, because what normal person would work at a prison? They're all perverts. Yeah. Which, you know what? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Fuck them up. 
Fuck, fuck him up, V. Back at court, it's finalized that Vanessa will be tried as an adult. And Vanessa just laughs. And as she's pulled out of, out of the courtroom, she looks at Bob and Mimi and says, Fuck you, chipmunk face, and your fucking skipper wife. <laughs> and I have no clue what skipper means in this context, but I love it. It's a boat, right? But I don't think she's a... No, a skipper is a, a, a position on a boat. Oh, is it? Okay. It is, yep. I don't know what skipper means, but... Next, we see Dan Hedaya interviewing one of Vanessa's friends, Candy. Or no, Cherry. I'm sorry. Cherry. Cherry. They were arrested a few times together. And we get... In a movie that's filled with upsetting lines, we get the one that might be the most upsetting for me. Mm -hmm. Cherry says... We thought it'd be all grown up turning tricks on Warren Avenue right outside the snack and shop. And just this, just this idea, because this is, we know it's what Ramona did. We know it's what Vanessa's mother did. We can only assume it's what Cherry's mother did that. They're like, this is what grownups do to get money. They go out. This is what they they think grownups do. Yeah. And they go out and they do sex work. And this happened in the sixth grade. Oh God. And but Cherry Cherry clarifies they were only going to do hand jobs. Yeah, no. In another horribly fucked up line. Yeah, it's terrible. And then for some reason, as Cherry leaves, we she we see she walks with a cane, and she has a big medical boot brace up to her knee, and like there's no reason for this, but I still love it. It's great subversion because you think she's just this like 15 year old and then you see walking around around and stuff. That's great. The black cop says something doesn't add up. Like after he sees the picture of Chopper and he's like, so he goes for whatever. And again, this doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense to me. I never understood this. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, after he's after he sees the picture of Chopper and he's like, oh, she dated a black guy. He's like, there's something more to this. So he goes back to the crime scene and finds Vanessa's ponytail. Yeah, I never understood why that he does that, but... It doesn't really make sense. I'd be interested to see if there's an audio commentary and see if the There is. Like, I I thought... Because I found out there was an audio commentary, I was like, all right, can I buy this and have it to my house by the time we record? Yeah. That did not happen. And... So, yeah, I don't have it. I haven't listened to it. I'm sure the Vinegar Syndrome release has it, and someday I'll own that. During uh, transportation, presumably from the courthouse, Vanessa and a bunch of other young lady prisoners are sent to a gas station bathroom. Mm -hmm. Vanessa is ready to enact her escape plan, and her rival, the woman she beat the shit out of, says that she won't make it, but... She'll help her out because she's there for double murder and has nothing to lose. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, The lady prison guard, receptionist, whatever, enters the bathroom. Vanessa puts her shank up to the woman's throat and her rival, Mosquita, Mm -hmm. ends up strangling this woman to death and later delivering some savage kicks. Oh, God. Mosquita is played by Alana Ubach. Mm-hmm. Which a name that does not sound Hispanic, um, yeah. but I don't know. Maybe she is. And weirdly enough, she was also in both Legally Blonde movies. I was going to say she was in Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> and she was also the first assistant on the first season of Beekman's World. 
I know you have no clue. That was way before <laughs> your time. It was this weird. It was this weird show on a basic cable or basic television. Uh, it was like a sort of a science show, like Mister Wizard, but a lot oh, goofier okay. and a lot like more humor based. But yeah, she was on that. Fascinating. Next, as Vanessa leaves the bathroom, she delivers a savage, absolutely savage slice to the male prison guard all the way across his torso. And then she kicks him to the ground. Yeah. No, this is brutal. Yeah, It's this brutal, but it's brutal great. Shit. It's great. And it's like, so at the good. same time, like again, he is basically a cop. So mm. I'm more or less okay with it. But the dude is like, so he even says like, you didn't have to kill me. It's like, yeah. I didn't kill you. One one of the um one of my favorite things about like weird cinema and everything is like how I used to even read books, but especially with movies, is I would always be like, oh, well, this has to be realistic. Well, you shouldn't do that and everything. And something just now and clicked me is like sometimes in fiction you just want to see someone just wreck some shit up and everything, and like you just want to see someone who's wronged and is just taking it out on the world. My man, that is how we are going to get you into action cinema. <laughs> I know action is probably like your least favorite genre. Probably, yeah. I'm gonna get you into some action. Like I'm yeah, gonna, no. at the very least, I'm gonna make you watch some action. Absolutely. Um, no, I'm down. Uh because that's like I was watching this at like twelve o'clock at night and everything. Perfect time to watch it. Perfect fucking time to watch it. And I was just in my room like, yeah, Vanessa, you're probably a terrible person, but beat that cop up. Fucking get him. Also, fuck the police, and it's always good to see that it's shown in films. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Mosquito and Vanessa hit the road in the prison transport van. They go meet some. They go meet Mosquito's boyfriend. Yep. And Vanessa gets cleaned up, change of clothes, some makeup. Mosquito also gives her her boyfriend's gun. She does. Which I was waiting for another, like, I was waiting for a chopper echo where we'd see uh, her boyfriend gunned down later because he didn't have his gun. That would have been good. Get that, but that would have been interesting. Vanessa, again, her weird morality, she apologizes for beating Mosquito up. Mm -hmm. And Mosquito admits that she was just trying to work it so V would put out for her later on. Vanessa says she'd put out for Mosquito any day. But Mosquito, no, <laughs> but Mosquito says she only does that in lockup. That's um, <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh we're in the home stretch now. We are. Uh, this is where I I kind of love the film from this point on and everything. I, I, I've loved it uh, up until now, but now it reaches another level of just like now we're like now we're just sort of paying off fucked upness and like just reaching our climax. We cut to the Wolverton house. The police show up with the search warrant. The black detective opens up a storage shed in the backyard and just a cascade, like almost like I wish they had gone further with it. I wish it had been like the shining where we see the fucking shed doors open up and all this young girl pornography spills out. Um, pictures there's sex toys it's everything in there but it is mostly about very young girls and by the way the black detective is called breer i don't think they ever call him breer in the movie but he is played by wolfgang bodison which is a great name 
It's a good name. I don't know him from anything else. I, I don't know him from anything as well. And Mimi Brooke Shields is shocked and appalled, yeah. and her brain is broken. Like she is very much an uptight um trophy wife. Like she dresses in all white all the time. Their their house is very white. Like it's this very much this theme of like purity and like yeah. wholesomeness. And she is just broken. She's like, those 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 were young girls. Those were those were young. It's girls. good acting. She She's really great. Good. Yeah, she does great in this breakdown. And the I love, I love the cinematicness, like you said, of it opening the doors and it like all coming out and stuff. But like, if we are thinking of this realistically, do we really think this rich guy would keep it all at his house? Don't you think he would have somewhere else to store all this? Stuff? Oh, I one hundred percent believe it. I want oh, really? to believe it. Like, I think that um, the sort of killer that Bob is and his sort of ego would definitely be like, I can keep it on my house and no one's going to suspect it. I can ha- like, and almost in a power thing over his wife where like, That's what I was I'm going to have this secret shed in back and you like um, Greer or Breer asked her for the key and for she just says, and- fuck you. And I feel like that fuck you is like, no, I don't have a key. Like Very that's much. the yeah. secret shed that my husband keeps completely separate from me. Doesn't um, let me in. Yeah. That, okay, there, that's was, good point. Uh, there was a, uh, Oh, I forget the uh, Jerry Brudos. He might've been in Mindhunter. Actually, Jerry oh. Brudos was a serial killer who uh, would like cut off the breasts of women and yes. like make paperweights out of them and just have them around his house. I did. Yeah. Like that's that's a thing that Ed Gein or Ed Gein was another one. He used to make lampshades of people. Yeah, the thing with Ed Gein was he didn't have a wife. Jerry Brudos did, and his wife was like, "Yeah, Jerry Brudos' wife was just like, okay." Oh, I didn't know he had a wife. That yeah, no, Ed Gein did did a bunch of shit like that. But Ed Gein was living by himself and uh, a bunch of corpses. Yeah, Uh, but. Mimi is so broken and and Breer is sort of like giving her shit yeah. about like it too. She just, she runs upstairs. We see her enter a room and then there's a gunshot. Mm-hmm. Now in most movies where we see the gun, we hear the gunshot off screen. We're that's like, it. okay, that's the end of it. Yeah. No. Not Freeway. Mm-hmm. Freeway says, fuck that. Hell yeah. And we follow the cops up to the room, and we get a gnarly shot of Mimi with her brains blown against the wall. It's gnarly. It is vicious as fuck. Like, yeah. and if, like, I feel this, like, this was the last warning. Like, mm-hmm. if you had made it through 135 minutes of Freeway, and you weren't sure if this movie was for you yet, Mm-hmm. It's time to check out. Like, there's still time to get out. It kind there's... of surprises me how this was made. No, it's it's with a first time director. Now, when we talk about Oliver Stone, I wonder if that's how this thing was made. Was that Matthew Bright needed Oliver Stone to produce it because no studio would actually give him the money to make this or put it in theaters? It would not surprise me if that was the case. Like, I, I think Oliver Stone being attached to it was uh, a lot of it. And, um, again, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, goes 
so much further. And, but it also didn't have that Oliver Stone, Danny Elfman quality and no like big names like Brooke Shields or up and comers, Kiefer Sutherland and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, that's true. I think you're right. I think Oliver Stone had a lot to do with this ever seeing the light of day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, And then the other thing I know wasn't a commercial success, but it was pretty good critics like critical. But um, I remember I saw, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw the poster. I don't know what it has on a DVD or anything, but the poster looks exactly to me like the movie speed with Keanu Reeves, because it has like, Reese Witherspoon's face and Kiefer Sutherland's face. And that just says freeway. And it looks like an action film. Yeah. Um, and that's not what it is at all. No, I'm sure. Like, I have no clue what the trailers or marketing was like for this movie. Oh, I, have but no idea. I would not be surprised if there was a lot of misdirection because it's hard to market a movie about a uh, teenage sex worker uh, evading a serial killer. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that again, that's what I love about sleaze and exploitation is like you are seeing. I feel like mainstream movies tell the same story over and over again, and we get some great variations, but not the sort of insane shit you're going to get when you have a low budget and no fucks to give. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I'm that's part of why I'm excited for bones and all is like, if it's as gory as they say it is, that will be an achievement for like, just I'm sure it's very arty because it's by the dude who did call me by your name. But next we see Vanessa uh, trying to hook on a street in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And I only bring that up because (laughs) at one point, Vanessa just shouts sexo at someone. Uh, that's the thing. Is there a time jump here? I I assume like it's a few hours or like a okay. like a morning or something because I assume that like after Mosquito gives her the gun and twenty bucks and makes her up a little bit, Vanessa because they say goodbye. Like Vanessa's just like, all right, I'm on my own. I got to get to Stockton somehow. I'll <laughs> I'll rob a John I'll as we're about to see, which is again the whole basis for Natasha Leone's character in Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby oh, is see. that she got sent to prison for robbing Johns. Oh, nice. Well, you said in Freeway 2 they watched this movie, right? Yes. Uh, there's what a little clip of it. Uh, I cannot remember. Okay. I'm interested, Sam. So. Okay. So, Vanessa finds a guy who wants a blowjob. They drive off to an alley, and of course, Vanessa whips out her gun and demands his money. The parallels between this scene and the mom scene is so good, because I thought it was a cop again. Because if you see, it holds it perfectly paralleling what the mom did and everything, even like saying how much money and everything that it costs and everything. So I thought that was really good. No, I even, again, even though I have seen this movie before, it's been a while. um, So I was like, wait, does she get picked up by another cop? But yeah, no, there is some tension there. But uh, Vanessa has pulls out the gun. She even fires a shot. The man asks why she's doing this. And she says, because I'm pissed off and the whole world owes me. Now give me a goddamn money. (laughs) 
that's another I, one of my favorite lines. <laughs> well, another possibly my very favorite line is coming up right now. Vanessa makes him get out of the car and drop his pants and tells him to get into the trunk. The man says he's claustrophobic, and Vanessa says, Yeah, well, I get claustrophobic sucking strange dick. <laughs> yep. Fucking hilarious and horrifying oh. and heartbreaking and just amazing. Like, so good. Sleaze is about being able to laugh at the most fucked up shit in the world. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's fucked up and it hurts, but like, I don't know. Let's laugh about it a little. Um, Meanwhile, Bob has seen the cops at his house and gets the fuck out of Dodge. Uh, He he goes to a diner where he's smoking and the smoke is coming out of his neck. And here's the first time we hear him speak with his electronic voice box. And it's Mm -hmm. so low pitched and sinister and sort of tinny and electronic. Uh, Reminds me a lot of uh, Phantom of Paradise with that whole voice box and everything. Absolutely. And he sort of terrorizes the waitress a little bit, like grabbing her name tag. And like, it's just, it doesn't amount to much, but just this little bit of build up to like what the big bad has become, like his ultimate monster form. Not that people with physical disfigurements are monsters, but. Bob is a monster, and now his outside reflects his inside to an extent. It reminds me, this is a weird comparison, it reminds me a lot of the Winky scene in Mahon Drive, because it's just suspense building up and building up and everything. Uh, Also, it's in a diner and everything, but like, I I see that suspense. I can see it, especially because... Like, we, we're pretty sure that Bob will not do anything to this waitress who approaches him to tell him to stop smoking in a non-smoking restaurant. But at the same time, we also understand that Bob has nothing left to lose. Yeah. And maybe he will hurt this woman. We also see that Bob has Vanessa's picture of her grandmother with her grandmother's address on it. Yeah. And now we get some wonderful playing with time where we're not sure who's where when it's great Mm -hmm. but vanessa has made her way to her grandmother's trailer park and we also see that the cops are headed there yep and vanessa finds her grandmother's trailer and barges in and i love this i love we it's been established that Vanessa's grandmother probably doesn't even know she exists. Nope. Vanessa's just like going, Hey, it's me, Vanessa. I'm here, Grandma. I'm here. It's me, your granddaughter. Uh, One of my favorite parts is that she parks, and then the cops park right next to her, and they walk over, and they go straight to a map that literally just says exactly where the parking place is, and she's going around screaming, Grandma, Grandma, I'm here. Again, she's not book smart. She's street smart. Very much. As soon as the cops pull off, like the guy is still screaming, like, help me, I'm dying in here. But Vanessa does find her grandmother's trailer, and she goes in, and she sees that someone's in grandma's bed. And Vanessa tells her grandmother that she's going to take care of her forever and ever and ever. But why are you hiding? Vanessa goes to pull back the covers of the bed, but she hears Bob's electronic panting. Them some big, ugly fucking teeth you got, Bob. 
Vanessa says as Bob rises and puts a gun to her head. And then in probably the most fucked up thing in the movie, one of the most fucked up things in the movie, aside from all the child sexual abuse, Bob shows her her grandmother. And we see a naked old woman with a noose around her neck. And and Bob implies that he raped her. A neighbor barges in just randomly, some egg-shaped man, uh, and Bob shoots him. (laughs) Bob and Vanessa tussle. The gun goes off repeatedly. The cops are at the door, but they can't go in because there's live rounds being fired. And I forgot to mention that Bob is dressed in a shower cap and some sort of like house dress or... uh... I think it's supposed to resemble the whole Little Red Riding Hood that the wolf dresses up as his grandma. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely, but I, I just don't know what to, uh, how to describe his couture, um, his moo that he's wearing. I was wondering if they were going to do the whole grandma trope at the end of it, because, like, I mean, it has the Little Red Riding Hood part, but were they going to do that? And I'm so happy. I'm happy they did, too. Like, it's, it's, it just makes it that much more ridiculous. It just makes it that much more insane and creepy and fucked up that Kiefer Sutherland's like, yeah, I'm going to dress up as her grandma. I'm going to, I'm going to wear. Yeah. I mean, we talked about Brooke Shields was, Brooke Shields was down for anything. He was really down for anything in this film, too. Kiefer Sutherland, the Channing Tatum of the 90s. <laughs> Vanessa in the tussle, eventually Vanessa slams Bob's head against the floor. And mm-hmm. as we see, we see it here. We see it when she fights Mosquita in the detention facility. The way she fights off Larry in the beginning is not the aggression we see later, which in retrospect makes that so much more devastating how normalized her trauma and abuse has become for her Mm -hmm. where it's like she is capable of extreme damage and has very sharp survival techniques but it's just like oh it's larry and yeah that's kind of like what you were talking about in the beginning it really is a tragedy it is and it's going to become more of i'm we're going to seal the tragedy right here because eventually she strangles Bob to death. Vanessa walks out of the trailer and sits down on the chair on the porch. The cops go in and survey the scene. All they can say is holy shit over and over as they see her grandmother, as they see Bob. Um, they I come think that's out. the perfect tagline for this movie. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> They come out and they look at Vanessa and Vanessa just says, y'all got a cigarette? Mm -hmm. And the cops sort of chuckle a little bit and Vanessa begins to laugh and we freeze frame on her laughing face. And now this is a horrifying tragedy about a young girl who has had a terrible life filled with trauma and abuse and goes through even more trauma and abuse, hoping to reach her last remaining family, only to find trauma and abuse afflicted upon them. Mm-hmm. But here, here's the thing, is despite everything Vanessa has gone through, 
she's going to end up in foster care. That's what I was just going to say. Like After she, all that she does to try to not be in foster care, she's going to end up there. She has no remaining family. Like, and, yeah. and not only that, that's like the least of it. We have to remember that she has assaulted and grievously harmed several people. She kidnapped a man. She broke free from a ju- juvenile detention facility. Mm-hmm. She has committed a string of crimes. A lot of crimes, yeah. That are, are not going to play out for her. Like, Vanessa... I, I, I don't remember where I first heard this, but it stuck with me so deeply. Happy endings are only happy because they know when to stop. Mm-hmm. I've heard all, that too. All stories ultimately end in death. Like, if you keep yeah. going, and this feels like that. Like, we stop now, and it's technically a happy ending because mm-hmm. Vanessa's alive, and she killed Bob, and, hey, she's laughing. The cops are laughing. But, like, if we were to continue this even slightly after, Vanessa does not have a happy ending. No, not at all. Well, you said she goes to foster care. I think she's going back to the, the juvenile center. Or something. I think she's going to end up being tried as an adult and going yeah. to an adult prison and that too. having a bad time. Um, but yeah, that is the <laughs> sleazy. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a, a, a we've, there's such a devastating. It's like, I figured out where that quotes from. What, what is it from? Sandman. It's Bet says that. That's it. That's yep. it. That's when you said that I was like, I know that it. too. What is that from? What um, a perfect quote. Yeah. But um and I butchered it in my paraphrase, but um No, no, it was good. But um yeah, no. Freeway has such this devastating core that if you're actually watching it to analyze and talk about, like it's easy to just like slide off it and be like Oh yeah, happy ending, but there's as soon as you peel back any little bit of it, it's so devastating and sad. And it's so amazing that it uses the little red riding hood story because it's a story we're all so used to as being a familiar and happy story and it just twists it in so many ways of the story but even the ending to make it that terrible tragic ending. I never thought of this when we talked about Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, but that whole Hansel and Gretel story is a story about throwing away children, Mm -hmm. which is what Freeway 2 is about. And like, this is sort of just about like, no, I, 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 sorry, that was a weird non sequitur, but. No, you're right. I mean, it's about stranger danger and like. I mean, even, I don't think we ever get, like, yeah, it could just be a happy girl going to her grandma's in the story, but who says it's not her leaving there because that's where she has to go? Yeah. But, yeah, no, uh, even though it's it'll make you laugh, it's immensely <laughs> quotable, Very it'll much. make you cheer, it'll make you go, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> I think Freeway 2 is actually a little bit of art. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not. Like, their care and thought has gone into the creation of this. And aside from just being weird and fucked up and singular, like, 
I think it's worth a watch. Absolutely. No, I definitely agree. So next week we are going to wrap up over the garden wall. And uh, yeah, and we're still trying to figure out our Christmas episode, but hopefully we have some fun for you guys. Get ready for another depressing episode next week because over the garden wall gets tragic and dark as well. (laughs) Ian, anything else you want to say about freeway? No, I think I was a little facetious in the beginning by saying the 15 minutes because after we talk about it, I think I did just enjoy every part of this film and, I think with a little bit of hesitations in some of the language, but I see why it's used. I would, I would say this is a really, really great film that I would recommend. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you.